This is Both Wonderful and Strange, a Twin Peaks podcast. My name is Chris Van Howe. We're going to cut right to the chase this week. Amelia Van Howe returns as my guest, and she and I are doing a full-on deep dive recap of parts five and six of Twin Peaks The Return. I hope you enjoy. We are joined again by my sister, Amelia Van Howe. Amelia, welcome back to Both Wonderful and Strange. Hello, glad to be back. Excellent. So, Amelia, today we are going to be talking about episodes five and six, parts five and six of Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, last time you were on, we uh, were discussed mostly episodes three and four, but sort of did an entire breakdown of the first four parts by geographic location. I feel now that that's when we left uh, part four, I felt that there was a number of clear narrative threads. We were coming, the story was coalescing a bit. And so now what I'd like to do for five and six is walk, uh, we'll both walk each other through uh, the shows in chronological order, what we were feeling, what we were thinking, um, all of that. My, My first question to you before we get into the the rundown is how you feeling after episodes five and six? Um, I think five was my favorite so far. Um, six was six was horrible in <laughs> in a lot of in a lot of ways and some you know unexpectedly some unexpectedly violent ways. Um, not that it wasn't a good episode, but some just some pretty horrific things happened and they were very sudden. So I wasn't. A huge fan of six, but I did. I really liked five. Excellent. I I agree with that assessment. I had a very hard time with episode six Uh, on a a rewatch. I found it more palatable and there were a few good things that stood out in the episode that we'll get to. But but far and away, the most difficult episode to watch to this point. So Mm -hmm. before we begin, I wanted to. A friend of mine, a friend of the pod, pointed something out to me that I thought was really interesting, and I wanted to bring it to light. In We're going to go all the way back to part one. In the room with the glass box where Sam and Tracy met their untimely demise, on the end table of, next to the couch, there was a bonsai tree. Mm-hmm. And if you remember from the original series... The bonsai tree was a significant uh, oh. icon from Wyndham Earl. And so I, I, you know, it could just be a piece of set dressing. I tend to think that everything that's placed in the shot of this and all of Lynch's works are very purposeful. So I, I don't know if we'll ever make anything about it, but I, but I, uh, I thought that was some very good sleuthing to to recognize that and tie it into the the Wyndham Earl storyline because you know who knows what that guy was up to before he was lost to the lodge he could have been a secret billionaire exploring the weird world of the Black Lodge or setting up somebody to explore the weird world of the Black Lodge 
So yeah, very possible because if I if I remember correctly, he knew about the Black Lodge before coming to Twin Peaks. I believe Am that. I correct in that? I think he did. Yeah, it's never really never explored quite explained. how he knows about that. And in the the Secret History of Twin Peaks book, there's there's ideas of cults and and mm. you know weird arcane knowledge in the world, and he certainly would have been a party to that at some point in his career, because it did touch a lot of the FBI. But that was, uh, I think that's my favorite Easter egg that someone has pointed out so far. So with that, let's get into episode five. Cool. So at the end of episode four, we were, we were kind of clear on what was going on. We knew, we knew we had Dougie, we had evil Cooper, out there in the world, we had some goings on in Twin Peaks, and now all those things are starting to happen. So episode five starts back in Las Vegas in Rancho Rosa. The the folks who were trying to kill Dougie are looking for him. They don't know where he is. His car is still in the driveway. He hasn't come out of the house in what seems to be at least a day. And this all leads to a... Uh, they're talking to a woman on the phone that we haven't seen before. And and this woman, well, we can refer to her going forward as I think the worrier or the worried woman is the the best best way to do that. She is panicked that the hit hasn't happened and she sends a message to this box that I don't think we find out at the time, but we later find out is in is in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um is there anything about this scene that really stood out to you as a, a mood setter? Well, the music. Yeah, um, she has her she has her own little theme song, and I didn't I didn't pay enough attention to the credits to see what um, what the song was. But that song comes back in six um, when when we see both a picture of her and then when we see her again, and she's unfortunately not around very long. No. Um, <laughs> But uh, the box, if I read that correctly, it looked like when what she was typing in, it it said like Hello Agent or something like that on her BlackBerry. Did I read that correctly? It's, it said Argent. Oh, okay. And then the number two. And, and so okay. it could be Argentina or could be Urgent. Mm -hmm. There was the two, you know, both that, that sort of dual meaning. Later we find out it's in Argentina, but it certainly wouldn't be beyond... Be beyond Lynch to play some letter and word games with that stuff. But absolutely, her music was really great because the music is like it's sort of chill and cool. Like it's got a you know, it's it's got a pretty I guess chill isn't the right word, but it's it, you know, it's it's busy. There's a lot going on. It's a dynamic mm -hmm. sound and it, it, it fits well as a sort of a counterbalance to her shaking hands and high anxiety. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. It's sort of like a nightclub-y type. Yes. Type feel. So after that scene, we go back to Buckhorn. Uh, probably one of my favorite scenes in both of these episodes is with the funny coroner or the funny uh, forensic scientist where she's <laughs> making head puns about, about that and then sort of slips in that she's still doing stand-up comedy on the weekends. <laughs> uh, the great scene and... I, I think there's some there's some interesting information revealed in this scene. And I really liked how 
they coupled this humorous, just silly antics of this this woman with her revealing the the ring that was found inside of the body. And and what did the ring say, Amelia? Well, the ring was inscribed and it said, um, wasn't it to Dougie with love from Janie E? Yes. Yeah. So which which would seem to point to, you know, that the body might be Dougie's, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yes. Um, We know the body also um, was positive for um, Major Briggs's prince. So it could be it could maybe be Major Briggs, you know, who who is this body? I think that the ring doesn't give us. A whole lot of clues. On yes, that. only that that the 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 web between all of this stuff is starting to tighten or starting to crystallize a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- from that scene, we jump to Evil Cooper in his cell, laying back, and he says, "Now food is coming," and then food comes. And as scary as he is, and he gets progressively scarier through these these two episodes i'm really starting to like evil cooper as as a bad guy i really like mclaughlin's performance i like how still he is Mm -hmm. and it it, as a counter to mclaughlin's performance as dougie is really fascinating because they they have a lot of similar traits in that evil cooper is very still and he talks in like a stilted way and you know he, he would you know it it's it just seems like they have these these similarities but at the same time evil cooper seems like big and dougie cooper seems small and meek like the way that just the physicality of the two characters is really fascinating to see one guy play both of those both both of those roles uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I am. Um, one of the things that I think makes Evil Cooper's the performance of Evil Cooper even more interesting is um, he says a lot of really nonsensical things, sort of like silly, almost almost child rhyme type things. But mm-hmm. the way that that they are performed, um, he says at one point, like, should I call Mr. Strawberry and says, uh, you know, the cow jumped over the moon, both of which are sort of like, okay, are, is this, is this nursery rhyme time? Like what's going on here? But, uh, the way that McLaughlin delivers those lines, is just a little spine chilling. And in a lot of ways, um, sort of reminds me of Leland from the original series and his obsession with, uh, these sort of inane, broadway songs yeah the dozy notes and mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's a good that's a really good call so in that scene he gets his food he washes his hands and as he looks in the mirror he we get a flashback to bob and the cooper doppelganger in the black lodge yucking it up having a grand terrifying <laughs> evil old time <laughs> And then a flash of Bob's face sort of set into Cooper's face in the mirror, which was really unnerving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Year, years and years and years through all of this, the 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 presence of Bob is a terrifying thing has not dulled one bit. I, I 100 percent agree. I actually just um, watched 
the sort of the final episode of, of Laura Palmer's case last night, right? Where they catch Leland and they discover that Leland is Bob and Leland is sort of, or rather inhabited by Bob and he's sort of going, going insane and all of this. And the, uh, the horrifying sequences where he, he looks in the mirror and, and becomes Bob. And I thought that I would be less afraid watching it this time but every every single noise in the room I was jumping out of my skin I I mean I couldn't I could like barely keep watching uh, I I don't do well with horror and it was just as scary the second time around yeah yeah so after this scary scene we're we're, we're chilled we're immediately we cut we're in Twin Peaks and we see Mike Mike's Mike's all grown up. He works at some sort of agency. He's a real realtor or an insurance broker. Or he's he's a you know he's pushing paper. Looks pretty good. Looks like he stays fit. Uh, but Mike is uh, formerly of Mike and Bobby, our our uh, high school drug dealers from the original series. Uh, in this scene, he's he's tearing down a character we've yet to. See. I don't think we've seen this character yet. Uh, we know his name is Stephen. He sort of looks like uh, like Macaulay Culkin meme-ish, you know, like scrawny, frail, sleeves rolled up. Looks like he might be on something. I don't want to spend too much time on Steven because we're going to come back to him later in this episode. But uh, we're starting now in Twin Peaks to get some some slice of life stuff. So we get that scene and then we meet uh Sheriff Truman, Sheriff Frank Truman's wife, Doris. So Truman is on the phone with the other Truman. And there's there's clearly something's going on with Harry on the other side of the phone. There's some illness in play. But now we we meet Doris, Frank Truman's wife. And uh, tell me about your experience with this scene. So uh, Doris comes storming in and just yelling about everything every every possible thing um i think there's there's a leaky pipe uh, she's convinced that her father's car hasn't been fixed properly um and and sheriff truman is just really incredibly patient with her and his clearly or at least it seems like he is taking care of the issues at hand or is doing his best to take care of the issues and um Doris is not pacified. If anything, she just gets even angrier. And uh, as she's about to, right before she leaves, she screams, you are impossible and, and storms out. Um, when in fact, she seems like the impossible one. <laughs> exactly. My, my favorite line in that scene, when she's talking about the leaky pipe and having, she's complaining about having to empty the bucket. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Sheriff Truman's deadpan response to her is, can you get a bigger bucket? <laughs> and then she she's like, well, I can spend money on a bucket, but I can't spend money on the nice rug I want to buy for, you know, and 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 that's, you know, we'll Doris comes back later, mm-hmm. I think, at the end of episode six. So we'll talk a little mm-hmm. bit about their the sort of full circle, uh, what we learn about her and, and Frank's past. But I, I, I again, it's just another standout character introduction um, you know, there've been at least a dozen, probably two dozen or more. We meet these characters for the first time and Lynch and Frost as writers and Lynch as a director do such a good job of like planning a flag for those characters. Like this is who this person is. 
you know within seconds of meeting them what to expect going forward from them, which I think is 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 really great. I completely agree, and I think that that's why um, some of the character changes are especially effective because we're led to expect one thing and sort of one thing only from a lot of characters. And then when they make sudden sharp changes um, later, it becomes, it's, it's really startling and I think very effective. Excellent. So then from here, we hop back to Las Vegas. Uh, Dougie goes to work (laughs) and Janie has a really hard time to, getting Dougie in the car to go to work. There's, you know, Janie, Janie is who's fast becoming my favorite character, uh, gets him in the car. But before that happens, Dougie is looking on at Sonny Jim is waiting in the car for them. And he's looking at Sonny Jim and he sheds a tear. And it's a very moving scene. I don't know if it's because like, I also have a little boy, uh, but you know, Dougie's Dougie's empathy is really, striking in this scene and i yeah i agree i thought that it was just like a really lovely moment and this scene also seems to have built some buzz around the internet in that it's believed that if you watch sunny jim he blinks his eyes at one point and it looks like he blinks his eyes backwards so this, you know, and, and who knows what that means? You know, I, I don't want to spend a ton, ton of time theorizing, but there's been a lot of backwards stuff in Twin Peaks for a long period of time. Uh, so I did go back and watch that scene. And it is it is remarkable because he's a very he's very still in the shot where he just sort of looks to be staring off into the middle distance. And then he blinks and the way his lids move and his eyes roll makes me think that we're watching the scene in, in reverse. So, very interesting yeah. that I definitely did not catch that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so go back. It's worth it to see that. Another backwards thing I want to go back to is when Coop meets, when Coop's in this, or Evil Cooper is in the cell and he's, uh, Gordon and Rosenfeld, Albert, talk to him for the first time. He says, and the first time I watched it, he says to Gordon, it's very, very good to see you, old friend. And what I didn't realize and what I what I saw uh, on the Internet was that he says it's air of very good to see you. So very is backwards, which which I've watched uh, full disclosure. We're we're taping this uh, almost a week after part seven has aired. I've watched part seven. I don't know if you have, but there's a scene in part seven that I won't say anything, but it, it goes back to that greeting of. Cooper to the to uh, Albert and Gordon. So neat. Ooh, well, I, I have not watched seven yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Good. Excellent. So uh, Dougie goes to work. Go back. Quick flash to Rancho Rosa. The thugs are casing the joint again. And then behind their car is another car filled with a bunch of kids. So now we're wondering what's going on with these two cars. Very quick scene. From there, we end up to a pretty protracted scene in Dougie's workplace, the Lucky Seven Insurance Company. I want to rattle through a few quick things in there. Uh, As Dougie refuses to get out of the car, Janie E. says to him, are you having one of your episodes? So we, we keep getting these little hints that whoever Dougie was before he was Cooper, 
he was prone to benders and bad behavior and episodes of, you know, Catatonia or whomever. Like the, a lot of people don't seem terribly put off by his behavior. Right. <laughs> and when Dougie gets out, he he obsesses over this statue. That's like a, a lawman or a cowboy pointing a gun. We'll come back to the statue later. Uh, Dougie goes into the office and, and hilarity ensues with coffee where uh, the, the the young gopher is, you know, Dougie wants some coffee and he, he gives Dougie his coffee and Dougie passionately drinks the coffee in the elevator. Uh, he steals Frank's coffee, who Frank ends up with a green tea latte and Frank loves his green tea latte. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but does not want to admit to everyone that he loves his green tea latte. Yeah. I, I love the little the little slices of, of that stuff that is in the show. These these they're almost warm moments that they're they're so human. Amidst all of this madness. So uh, I also like Dougie saying, damn good, Joe after uh his his buddy who gave him the coffee says that um yes <laughs> yeah so all this happens dougie is in a meeting tell me a little bit about the meeting what do you recall from the meeting so in the meeting um first of all it takes a while to get dougie into his seat uh and when he's finally in his seat his presumably his boss um, asks one of uh, Dougie's co-workers, he says, leave it off. And um, they start talking about two cases of insurance fraud that um, are not fraud. So the, uh, the guy who's um, reporting this says, yes, we need to pay out. These are legitimate. But then there's this little flicker over the guy's face. It's sort of a like a yellowish, greenish light. Um, and this light comes back, and I can think of two more instances in five and six um, that I'm sure we'll get to. And uh, Dougie sees this light, sees this light. Presumably he's the only one who sees the light, and he says he's lying. Um, and the the coworker is of course upset that that he's calling him a liar dougie doesn't explain himself and uh after the meeting he is called into the boss's office the boss whose name is bushnell mullins oh my right. <laughs> battling bud this is, this is his boxing name great name uh the the one thing i like about the scene where dougie is called into the office is that the Bushnell Mullen says to him, you're, you're calling one of my great best agents, a liar. And you see this like smile of recognition on Dougie's face. And he says the word agent and mm -hmm. it touches a chord with him, which is I, a lot of commentary on the Dougie scenes have been like, all right, it's enough. How much time are we going to spend with this, you know, sort of bumbling thing like that. But the, the slow burn of it, I, I really like it. I, I, I feel like when it does pay off, It'll be it'll be it'll have been worth the the time spent with him uh, watching him learn and navigate the world. I agree. Initially, I was I had just frustration for the Dougie character because I wanted so much to see uh, the Cooper that I know and love. Um, but I'm getting to really like Dougie as a character. So I sort of don't you know, I'm not I'm not anxious about seeing Cooper anymore. Exactly. 
Exactly. And and more Dougie means more Janie. So from there, uh, I think this is the scene where is that where Dougie gets all the homework? He gets all his mm-hmm. case files. So so Mullins gives Dougie a bunch of work to do. A huge stack of files, which will come into play later. From there, we cut to the casino. Not not too much of note with this scene, except for one little like piece of, of scene dressing. Uh, the casino boss is is there. He's there to take the take his frustrations out on Dougie, Mr. Jackpots, winning four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars on the, the pit boss who was there at the time, beats the crap out of the pit boss, gives the uh, the, the the kid who is the you know, who, who's been around, gives him the pit boss's job, which it's not a promotion that I ever want. <laughs> but the, the 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 really like interesting thing in here was the the three girls in their pink dresses standing a standing at the wall sort of playing with their hair in their hands as the scene goes on all around them uh it, it's not unusual for lynch to include pretty girls in 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 costumes as set dressing in his shows i, I think a lot of one-eyed jacks and the the garb that the women wore there uh i think it's it's code for this is you know this is just a a corrupted place and like everyone who is here is either going to be a part of the corruption or a victim of the corruption. I agree. And I think, um, the attitude of the girls, I mean, they, this, this poor guy is getting the living tar beat out of him and they just like, don't seem to care. Don't seem interested at all. Um, which I thought was very, sort of very telling of the sort of corruption that we've seen before. Absolutely. From here, we go back to Rancho Rosa. The curious kid across the street from Dougie's car is finally mustered up the nerve to check it out. He knows there's something underneath there. And as he's exploring the car, the the second group of toughs who were casing the joint pull up, tell him to get out of there. They throw a rock at him like he's a like a, a vagrant animal. And right before the there's they're trying to steal Dougie's car and mm-hmm. right before they 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 start the car the kid almost gives a look like he knows what's about to happen and then the car blows up right and the the kid sees it all he scampers back home his his, his mother is still totally passed out missed the whole thing luckily the kid was safe mm-hmm. i you know, I think we know now that the this was the now a failed hit on Dougie. The car bomb has been blown up and Dougie Dougie still lives. So there's going to be some a price to pay. Uh, elsewhere in town, we revisit Jade again, uh, the escort who was with Dougie when Dougie disappeared and Cooper took Dougie's spot. She finds his key that he dropped on the floor of the Jeep to the Great Northern Hotel and pops it in a mailbox. I'm sure we'll come back to that yeah absolutely so now now we're back in twin peaks and we're back at the double r and we meet becky played by amanda seafried becky is the previously mentioned in the very first part where shelly is talking about her daughter and she's having she's with a bad guy becky is shelly's daughter she asks her mother for money and 
it seems like she's following the pattern that her mother followed with Leo. Yes. Um, and then after she asks for money, she gets back in the car and we see that uh, Stephen is, is none other than the sort of schlubby guy who is in Mike's office looking for a job. Um, and uh, one thing that really stuck out to me is when she gets in the car, the first thing he says is, how much money did we get? Yes. Um, which and then and then he sort of backpedals and says, oh, you know, I'm good for it. I'll, I'll pay her back. Um, but it's clear that they're into some kind of drug um, and spending their money on that. Maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know, cocaine or something similar. But um, there's also a great shot of Norma and Shelley standing in the window um, watching Becky and Steven. And Norma's just saying, you know, like, you gotta, you gotta cut this off now before it gets harder, which I think is, is very interesting because in a lot of ways, it's sort of the pot calling the kettle black. I mean, both Norma and Shelley um, were unable or unwilling to sort of take that, take that step in their own lives. Yeah, they've, they've been, they've been there. They know it's, they've been with bad men. I think and, and the the scene caps with the, the two of them doing some drugs and then driving with the top down in, in Steven's hot car. And it's just this close up on Becky's blissed out face as they are. They're driving along and she's the wind's blowing in her hair and she looks so happy. And when I'm seeing that, I'm like, well, she's in trouble, right? Right. <laughs> and again, this could be another instance of Lynch and Frost planting a flag and saying, all right, well, you know, this person is going to come back at some point. Maybe she's even going to be if the if the the Twin Peaks is we're spending more and more time in Twin Peaks in every subsequent episode now. Mm -hmm. And if she is going to be the she certainly fits the bill of the Laura Palmer archetype, blonde, pretty, bad taste in men. You know, she's in trouble. And speaking of bad taste in men, um, I'm sure that we'll revisit this when we get to six. But there's a uh, a really horrible guy who's who's trying to move some move some drugs from Canada to Twin Peaks. So I wouldn't be surprised if she runs into him at a later date. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. So we 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 jump from there. We jump back to Vegas. Dougie is leaving the office. There's another funny elevator scene. This time he's he's blocking the door. And for all the time we spent with Dougie, no one has gotten frustrated with him. No one has really yelled at him like Janie's shown some exasperation. But in that moment, the act of just blocking the garage door or the, the, the elevator door in seconds, people are furious. <laughs> this, this angry mob. Which, you know. Just a just another example of humanity captured in a little tiny, you know, segment of 10 seconds of, of that. And we move on from it. But it really, really stands out. Yes. Then we <laughs> we we're jumping back and forth between Twin Peaks and Vegas a lot lately. Quick, quick scene in Twin Peaks, a long, silent scene. Andy and Hawk in the evidence room. And Andy asks, or Andy asks Hawk, have you found any Indians? And then, and then it's the end of the scene. 
just this, you know, one line Hawk looking like, you know, he has so much patience. He and he and Frank Truman are saints when it comes <laughs> to the patient game. And then we finally get an answer. One of the very first questions the show asked was, what's Dr. J- Jacoby doing with all of these shovels? Yes. And we get the this answer. This was one of my favorite moments in uh, in episode five. Um, he he appears to be running his own television show, which is sort of, an, you know, anti-everything, anti-government, anti-food processing, anti, you know, everything. And he offers these golden shovels, only twenty nine ninety five to dig yourself out of the shit. Um. <laughs> My favorite part is that he he's Dr. Amp. That's his name. He's got the lightning bolts on his uh the, like the collar of his shirt, but he starts his show by saying, this is Dr. Amp to do in the vamp of truth, climbing the ramp of justice and lighting the lamp of Liberty, Liberty, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Amp. Pretty good. Yeah. From there, quick scene at the Pentagon. Now we're at the Pentagon. Uh, Ernie Hudson of Ghostbusters fame shows up and he and his subordinate, are discussing the fact that Major Garland Briggs's fingerprints have shown up again. This is the 16th time in 25 years. So now we have that to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, in back in Twin Peaks, we go to the the uh, the Bang Bang Bar, and this is where we're introduced to what we would find in the credits later is Richard Horn, uh, skeezy guy in the bar smoking when he shouldn't be smoking. The bar owner comes over, tells him to stop, sends another guy over. What I noticed upon the repeat viewing, and I maybe you caught this the first time, is that the second guy, the guy that Richard Horn hands the cigarette box to, the cigarette box that's filled with money, is Chad, the police officer. Chad, the skeezy, horrible scumbag police officer. Yeah, I have twice <laughs> written my notes for these two episodes. It's like, man, Chad sucks. <laughs> He's just a jerk in every, every conceivable way. I mean, he just seems like one of those people who wants to make your day substantially more difficult than it has to be for no good reason. Yes. Um, And he seems to be involved in some malevolent activities, too. So. Yep. Chad sucks. Not not. Chad is not a friend of the pod. Yeah. Uh, so this is our introduction <laughs> into we, that, that. We totally glossed over the fact that Richard Horn sort of physically assaults a woman. Uh, who is sort trying to flirt with him and says some pretty awful things that I won't repeat, but a, a pretty, uh, pretty dastardly introduction for this character. Yeah. Yep. Pretty and uh, horrible, horrible. And like no one, you know, no one does, no one does anything. <laughs> so, yep. What are Hooray. you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do in a place like Twin Peaks? Uh, from there, we have a, a quick scene with, uh, Agent Tammy Preston back in Philadelphia looking at uh, Evil Cooper's prints. And you can, she zooms in. One of them is backwards, it appears. If you look really, like, you have to look really closely, but one of the prints, it looks like it was printed backwards. The the labeling on the, uh, on the, the like, instead of saying, like, left index finger, it's backwards. Like, you know, anyways, take a quicker look quick look she she spends a lot of time sort of uh 
I, I'm I'm fascinated by by Tammy Preston and 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 by the way she moves the the actress who plays her is a Lynch ingenue or like a Lynch protege and he's fostered a number of sort of beautiful young musician female musicians over the years like Julie Cruz in the original series was mm-hmm. one of his stable but you can tell that he he spends an awful lot of time letting the camera look at Tammy Preston it's 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 almost a little it's a little creepy a little mm-hmm. a little creepy um but so you know an interesting way to deliver like she's she's on to something there we don't quite know what it is uh, and then the 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 show ends with a big scene in the prison. Cooper's in the prison, and you mentioned this earlier. He he has a phone call, but before the phone call, he mentions Mister Strawberry, which seems to really unnerve the Warren, the warden, some some for some reason. Mm-hmm. And he picks up the phone and he rapidly dials numbers, and the alarm system goes off, and he's. He's he has the phone to his ear and I I think he hears something. I think he gets a message of some kind. And the response that like his response, the cow jumped over the moon is a response to the message he hears. And I don't know if it's that the the uh, message that the hit didn't go through on Dougie or what. But but he says the cow jumped over the moon. And, and then what happens from there on? And I mean, so when he dials all those numbers, it's just absolute pandemonium. Um, Every single alarm in the prison is going off. Some of their security cameras are now showing food network. Um, So (laughs) it's, it's complete havoc. And, and of course the warden and the, and the various guards watching in are the call on the call are all um, confused. And I, and I think a little frightened. Um, And then Cooper hangs up after after the cow jumped over the moon and everything ceases <laughs> and we're just left with him sort of creepily you know staring into the cameras then, then we get the quick cut to buenos aires and the same call box at the beginning of the episode that the lights blink and then it shrivels up into a tiny silver little rock or something mm-hmm. you know just a very supernatural thing happens and then from there, the, to end the episode, we go back and and Dougie is still at the statue obsessing over it. And this beautiful like this is the first time I think that the the new score has really come into play in the show, or at least where mm-hmm. I noticed it, like it was really impactful. This beautiful sort of saxophone laced ballady, you know, song as as Cooper is there sort of touching the shoes of this statue and looking at the statue. I'm uh, it was the first time I really felt the effect of Battle of Mente's score. And I'm, I'm, I was really moved by it. I think these two episodes, five and six, are a return to the forefront of the score of Twin Peaks, the, the powerful, the powerful nature of it. I agree. And we've seen. Um, so Dougie has always sort of had sort of like jazz music playing in the background uh there's been where i noticed it first was the kitchen scene where he walks in with his tie over his head (laughs) um yeah and and he has that you know wonderful interaction with sunny jim and his first taste of coffee and all that and there's um a great jazz standard playing in the background that of course i can't think of the name of right now 
but it, it seems like like his character is going to be represented by by instruments that we t- typically think of as jazz instruments. And I, I agree with you. I mean, the score is one of my absolute favorite things about Twin Peaks. Perfect. And that's the end of part six, or, or excuse me, part five. So now uh, we are going to do a, I think we'll do a bit of a lightning round for, for episode six. We both loved episode part five. We both had some issues with part six. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the there's a few impactful things we need to talk about in in, in part six, but uh, I could talk about part five all day. But so far of the first six parts, by far my favorite. Uh, the the pleasant vibe of of part five carries over immediately in part six, where the the saxophone piece is still playing the very friendly police officer who uh, doesn't want Dougie, Dougie to touch his badge, <laughs> brings him home. And the, one of the last thing he says, he says to Janie as he's leaving after he's delivered Dougie to his home is, is he's got this thing for my badge. Yes. I really like that line. Um, but it's a very, this is a scene in their home. And this is the, the moment where, where Janie steals my heart in these, in this sort of protracted scene. She's made sandwiches and chips for her and Dougie. They're having dinner together. Uh, she wants Dougie to go say goodnight to Sonny Jim. Uh, in Sonny Jim's room, Dougie and Sonny Jim have this really touching thing, and Dougie learns about the clapper. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I, I really like those. Again, I am, I'm a sucker for son and dad stuff. Uh, I am a son and a dad, so I, <laughs> I, I fall into both of those. Those really good there. Um, we have that touching scene in there but as as that's going on Janie E stumbles onto something there was an envelope left on their porch what's inside the envelope and what does it lead to between the two of them it is a picture and not just any picture but a picture of Dougie and Jade walking out of the house hand in hand um and so understandably Janie E is extremely angry and calls him downstairs and sort of like sits him down and starts screaming at him. Um, and uh, while she's sort of in the middle of berating Dougie, um, who Dougie's just excited that he recognizes someone. Yeah, dude, that's right? one of the best lines in the episode. Jade gives two rides. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of, of course, Janie is, is furious that he's, you know, like, you know her, you you admit that you know her name and, and blah, blah, blah. I can't believe you. And so she's sort of berating him. And then the phone rings um, and Janie goes, oh, are you going to get that? And obviously, Dougie is in, in no way capable of taking a phone call. Uh, so she picks up the phone and it is the people who they owe uh money to and so she tells them that dougie is indisposed and that she will meet them herself in the park at noon 30 tomorrow (laughs) noon 30 yes yeah (laughs) um yes this is yeah this scene when she's on the phone it's the first time you really get to see janie's fierce instincts she's got Mm -hmm. no fear it's just just awesome. What a what a performance by Naomi Watts. Uh, that happens. She goes to upstairs to see deal with Sonny Jim. Dougie gets an image of the the Black Lodge appears and uh, the one armed man. Mike is, is there and he says to to Dougie Cooper, wake up. 
don't die, don't die, don't die. Uh, the the tagline of the episode was don't die. And then Cooper gets to work on his case files. And this scene is really long upon second viewing. It's mm-hmm. it's four minutes of Cooper uh, making these scrawls on the case files. And he seems to be being guided by these lights, the same like we saw the flashing light over uh I believe the 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 lying agent's name is Tony, Tony's eyes. And now Dougie has these sort of dancing snowflakey lights on these case files. And he's making all of these connections with them or or he's these crude drawings. But Mm -hmm. really, it's like three and a half minutes of him making these crude drawings Mm -hmm. from there. Or do you have anything to say about that? Not really. I mean, I guess the drawings all seem to be ladders, which I thought was interesting. And I had wondered if that would tie back to um at first i thought that he was drawing a picture of not quite the black lodge but the purple place within the black lodge and the ladder that he that cooper climbed up into the like tiny spaceship um at first i wondered if he was going to draw a picture of that but i wonder if the ladders have any significance interesting everything has significance of course right obviously (laughs) we uh we cut from there to a picture of albert in the rain at the end of the the part four, Albert, uh, they're going to go find somebody. And Albert knows where this person drinks, this woman drinks. But Albert's in the rain. In the car, he has this really funny conversation with uh, with Gordon Cole. Gordon is not in the rain. Gordon has a female companion bringing him a fine glass of Bordeaux <laughs> while Albert is out doing this dirty work. And as Albert is stuck in the rain, walking into this place, he steals the show with his episode Fuck Gene Kelly, you motherfucker, (laughs) (laughs) which is such a great joke. But it gets lost in the he he walks into the bar and he is looking around and he sees from behind this woman with this short platinum blonde hair. uh, And he says the magic words. Do you want to do you want to have the honors, Amelia? Sure. He says, hello, Diane. Yeah. And she turns and she says, hello, Albert. And it is it is Laura Dern confirming the the sort of number one rumor uh, going into the show that Laura Dern was going to be playing Diane. I'm really pretty thrilled about that. Uh, I like Laura Dern a lot. I have this long running joke with one of my best friends who whenever we see a picture of Laura Dern or if, uh, if she's on the television, we say in unison, oh, no, it's Laura Dern. <laughs> and I don't know why we say it like we like Laura Dern. It's just a funny thing to say. And she's a funny person to to say it to. <laughs> um, from there, we have a really long time in, in Twin Peaks. It's a really bunch of scenes sort of woven together. It starts with the uh, a drug deal between Red, who uh, we have. We saw in the first part of the episode, he makes the finger gun at Shelley mm-hmm. at the uh I think that was the end of part two um, in the in the roadhouse and Richard Horn is there and they seem to be having a grand old time talking about their evil doings. And then Richard Horn gets all bent out of shape for the fact that Red called him kid. This leads to a, a terrifying scene with a dime flipped into the air. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you were feeling watching this scene. Yeah, that that was spooky. That was um, so, you know, Red flips this dime. The dime ends up in Richard Horn's mouth 
um, and then sort of materializes back into the air and, and falls back into Red's hand. Um, and I just felt like it was a return to um, the the really hard evidence that the supernatural does exist in Twin Peaks and those who control the supernatural um, are likely to have sort of more power than everyone else. I, it sort of, it reminded me a little bit of the way that, um, that Wyndham Earl manipulated people with his, you know, knowledge of the black lodge and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Bad people. They, they've got an upper hand on, on everyone in Twin Peaks. Uh, this, this scene angers Richard Horn. He's been, he's been humiliated. He has been, put into his place and he's he's very upset and that's going to have some pretty tragic consequences shortly uh, from that scene we jump to uh, a guy named carl carl is played by he's the older guy in the car i think it's carl and mickey are taking mm-hmm. a ride into town uh, in twin peaks carl owns the fat trout trailer park that is uh, where Teresa banks the victim uh, before laura palmer lived uh, he is now in twin peaks with the new fat trout trailer park so he's expanded the hell of a businessman that carl uh, <laughs> in twin peaks the secret history carl is one of three people who is abducted by aliens we believe one of the other people who is abducted by aliens is, as as a child is is the log lady so she mm-hmm. carl, so they they have some sort of connection there um i really like uh harry dean stanton the actor he's he's been a lynch regular for years uh my favorite moment in this is Carl is smoking in the van and he asks Mickey if Mickey wants to smoke and Mickey says he quit and Carl looks at him and says smoking for 75 years every fucking day <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah, what are you going to do um, so that's happening we go to the double R there's a quick scene with this woman Miriam who I don't know what her significance will be but she likes to buy cupcakes and pies for herself uh, she leaves a big tip and goes on her way this is another example of sort of small things happening to a to a, there's there's a slow rising action with spliced with slice of life mundanity that when you get to the the uh, crescendo of this rising action, you realize, oh, for the last 12 minutes, I've just been full of dread. And mm-hmm. then the dread was delivered. So we we go back to. uh Richard driving the truck and he's mad. He's yelling at himself. Meanwhile, Carl is sitting on a park bench having a lovely day. He sees a mother and a child playing a game, a tragic game. And it ends with this scene where Richard pulls around in traffic and speeds through an intersection and, and hits and kills the child, which not uh, not an easy thing to watch. <laughs> um, yeah. Pretty, pretty intense, pretty brutal. Um, again, in this scene, the, uh, the score is back though. Like it's really picking up again. Like the music that's playing as the mother craters, her dead son is really affecting two interesting pieces of twin peaks. Ephemera is that in the movie fire walk with me, Laura Palmer and Leland Palmer have a fight at that same intersection. Also Mm -hmm. the phone pole that we see or the electrical pool that we see. We also see in Twin Peaks walk with me all the way 
at the original Fat Trailer or Fat Trout Trailer Park, which is far away from Twin Peaks. So that phone pole seems to be able to move. Interesting a lot. Yeah. So we uh, we're going to round it out here. Try to uh, get uh, get through this in a timely manner. I'd like to, if I can add something really quick. Oh, yeah, go um, for it. We see that sort of yellowish, greenish light yes. again. Yes, good call. Or rather, yeah, Carl sees it. Um, it seems to be perhaps the young boy's soul or, or something similar, and he sees it sort of rising up towards that mysterious uh, mobile telephone pole. So I'm, I'm sure those lights will come to mean something soon. I believe you're right. All right. So from there, we go to Vegas. The casino guy gets a red square on his screen. This red square means something to him. He goes into his safe and he pulls out a sheet of paper, an envelope that has a black circle on it, a tiny mm-hmm. black circle. Uh, the uh, is He handles it very carefully when this happens. Um Real quick scene after that, the police investigating the car bomb find Dougie's plate on the, the trunk of on the roof of a nearby house. Then we cut to a hotel room where we meet Ike the Spike. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a name. <laughs> Which is another great example of like something being hilarious and violent and terrifying all at the same time. Mm-hmm. As we soon find out that Ike loves his spike. Uh, Ike is, uh, yeah. Tell, tell us, how do we meet Ike? So, uh, we see Ike and he's in a hotel room. He's sort of sitting at the like bureau and he's rolling a dice or he's rolling a pair of dice and, um, marking down, I'm, I'm assuming what, what he rolls. And it, it appears that he's filled up many, many pages doing this activity. Uh, and then the, uh, the envelope with the black spot, um, is slid under his door and he, he takes that to the bureau and opens it up. And there are two photos inside. Um, there's a photo of the worrier and there's a photo of Dougie. And one of the things that I loved about the scene is as soon as he pulls out the photo of the worrier, her like nightclub music yes. starts playing again. Um, which I, I thought was a great way to, cause I had forgotten, I had forgotten who she was. The, he pulled the picture out and I was like, who is that woman? And I couldn't remember. But, um, when I, well, first of all, you reminded me, but <laughs> I also, when I heard her music again, I was like, Oh, right. Yes. It's the, it's the same music that we've heard before. Um, and then Ike sort of, it takes his spike and is sort of poking the various poking the, the pictures of the warrior and Dougie. Um, yeah. And, and ends up stabbing through Dougie's picture. Yes. And well, he he stubs, stabs through both of them. And when he stabs through the warrior, the music stops. Oh, is, I didn't notice that, yeah, which is a pretty cool effect. Uh, so now we've met like the spike. We make uh, to have a quick flashback to uh, the lucky seven and another elevator scene with Dougie. This time he's just grinning like a fool, drinking his coffee and standing in the elevator doors. It's closing on him. Uh, Dougie, Dougie's not great with doors. You know, elevators, revolving doors. Um, they all do that. Dougie has a meeting with his boss, Battling Bud, Bushnell Mullins. And in that meeting, he gives his boss his findings, the case files. And at first, his boss is like, what is this nonsense? Uh, but then he starts to 
he sees a connection. Um, I think we're led to believe that it's it's a like insurance fraud that that probably at the hands of Dougie Dougie's rival Tony, um, and whatever whatever the lights were showing Dougie and whatever he drew seems to have triggered something in his boss. I'm going to say his name again, Battling Bud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> from there we go and we Janie deals with the thugs. This is my favorite Janie scene. Yeah, this is great. There's 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 two great lines in this scene. Uh, she puts the thugs in their place. She tells them how it's going to go. And one the one line I like, she says, is we drive cheap, terrible cars. <laughs> um, but essentially, she pays them off. Uh, gets rid of them. One of the thugs is played by Jeremy Davies, who's one of my favorite act, like sort of sideline actors. Uh, he was in Lost as uh, Richard Faraday. Um, always, always a treat to see him. Uh, when when Janie has sort of rendered them ineffective in their quest to claim $50,000 from her as she leaves, having sort of forced them to do what she wanted, Jeremy Davies' character just says, tough day, tough day. <laughs> but what was your, what, I mean, I think this is Janie's standout scene. I'm sure you were grinning ear to ear as she yes. lays into these guys. And I thought that she said, uh, excuse me, I thought that he said tough dame. Oh, even better. You're right. Yeah, that, yeah. that was what I heard anyways. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, she just, uh, you know, I, allegedly she or Dougie owes them 52000 and she just, <laughs> she just is like, this is, you know, this is what I have. This is what I'm going to give you. Any bank would be happy to have this 25% interest rate and this is what you're going to get. So I'll never see you again. Bye. See, see you later. <laughs> oh, I love Janie. From there, Ike strikes. Like the spike strike. So we were treated to a scene of the music is playing again, the nightclub music, the warrior is on the phone. And she says, perplexed, three bodies. So obviously somebody has told her about the failure of the car bomb. At the same time, it it sounds as if Ike the Spike has already killed one person. He soon makes short work of the warrior. And then there's an unfortunate witness. So the three bodies was kind of a funny, weird foreshadowing. Funny is not the right word, but a foreshadowing of what was to happen there. Um, a, a terribly brutal scene. Mm-hmm. Upon upon second viewing, whew, <laughs> very yeah, ch- I couldn't couldn't even chill. watch it. Could yeah. not, couldn't make it through. But uh, what happens at the end? <laughs> Oh, poor Ike. Yeah, he has bent his spike. He's bent his spike. He's very upset about about bending his spike. (laughs) So we got we've got three scenes left. I think we can do them pretty quickly. Uh, We have a scene of (laughs) Richard Horn driving the truck off the road. He's 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 looking for a spot where he can kind of check out the damage to the grill of the truck. Something that I didn't notice the first time, but I noticed the second time he's in this field, right? There's not a road around or anything like that. Mm-hmm. As he pulls up and stops the car in the windshield, there's a reflection of a telephone pole. Oh, spooky. Exactly. So, so now is like, is that, I think the, the main theory that I've seen a lot of people have is that the telephone pole is sort of the earth presence of the, the arm, like the electric tree, in the Black Lodge is a telephone pole or an electric pole, which 
an electric that's tree. That's very clever. That's yeah. very, very clever. So so it's it's appeared in three places there. Um he cleans off the car, he's Richard is incensed. He's, you know, he's in he's in a bad way. Uh cut to the Twin Peaks Sheriff's office, and Hawk is in the bathroom. He drops his buffalo headed nickel or his Indian head maybe a dime. Um and that leads to uh, another Indian appearance on the the stall door. The Nez Pierce Manufacturing Company made the plating for his door. And there's a broken corner in the door. Hawk proceeds to take the door apart and he finds some notes. What do you think the notes are? Well, we find out that they're... Um... Oh, gosh. Was this the beginning of seven? Okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, this it's is right. why I... I, I had started seven and then I was like, oh, wait, but I'm going to get them confused. <laughs> <laughs> so he finds these notes. Um, they look handwritten. Um, and it was sort of a nice fulfillment of the, you know, something is missing because when he sees the broken um, corner, it's there's like a a nail missing or something like that. And well, uh, <laughs> I think Hawk demonstrates his eternal patience again because uh, Chad, the horrible Chad. Chad sucks. Oh my gosh. As he's, as he's ripping apart the store and, Oh, did you clear this with the sheriff? And he's just being, <laughs> being a jerk. Chad in there. He's ready to, he's ready to have a sit. He's got his mug. He's got a book. He's going <laughs> to spend a good long time in there. Um, Chad gets the chance to disappoint us one more time. We learn the story of Frank and Doris's son, uh, he was a some sort of military. He was involved in the military, a soldier of some kind, and he killed himself, which probably now now Doris, instead of being like an aggravating character, is a very sympathetic character. Something in mm-hmm. her is broken. Chad says some awful things about that. And I can't wait for Chad to get his comeuppance. I, I am right there with you. Yeah. So I one day Chad sucks. And one day I hope to say about Chad sucks to suck. <laughs> so I think we can end it there. That's that's pretty much the end of the episode. We do get the traditional back to the uh, the roadhouse for a band. It was Sharon Van Etten was the band in, in, in part six. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty good performance. But I think that's it, Amelia. Yeah. You feeling good? Feeling great. All right. Excited well, for uh, the right, rest our, of it. Our, our plan quickly. I think you and I will do episode seven and eight as a pair. And then we'll start to probably break them down individually so you don't have these hour-long... I love these hour-long talks, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll try to take one episode at a time from here on out after eight. Sounds good. All right. Thanks a lot.
Gentlemen, to evil.